What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, hi, hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Hardwood Knox Podcast. I am Dan Favalli, coming at you once again with one of my incredible co-hosts, Mo Dakiel. Andrew D. Bailey is once again not here, but he'll be coming back soon, and, and we'll pretend to miss him for both yours and his benefit. We are, yeah, exactly. <laughs> We're going to finish our uh, off-season grades today by wrapping up with the Central Division. If you haven't checked out the podcast for the other five divisions and 25 teams, be sure to do that. They were they were just a bunch and a ton of fun. We had great takes on there. Before we get started today, though, just want to continue reminding, imploring, begging, shamelessly pleading with everybody to continue rating, reviewing, subscribing to us on iTunes. We can be found wherever else you're consuming your podcast, be it Stitcher, Art19, Spotify, all those good places iTunes is still the very absolute best way to let us know that you are listening and to pro- provide us with feedback. And it only takes 10 to 15 seconds out of your day. Search Hardwood Knox, throw us a rating, write a review. We love seeing those. And definitely subscribe if you haven't already. As always, if you've done all those things, please, shout outs on Twitter, word of mouth, helping us just get uh, the word out about Hardwood Knox and it being a pleasantly, awesomely mediocre basketball podcast would be mediocre. Really no. Uh, Slightly, we're, we're more, we're better than mediocre. Well, you're on the podcast, so suboptimal seems like the right word at first. But see, you're already taking shots, Dan. This, this is not okay. I have to take shots. I have to get my shots off within the first ninety seconds of the podcast. Also, be sure to follow Hardwood Knox, despite what I just said about us at <laughs> Hardwood Knox on Twitter, and despite what I say about Mo all the time. Follow him on Twitter. He's a good follow. At Mo Dakiel underscore MBA. At M-O-D-A-K-H-I-L underscore MBA. You can find me at Dan Favalli. F-A-V-A-L-E. Andy is at Andrew D. Bailey. Spelled, as always, just like it sounds. Last but certainly not least, be sure to follow Blue Wire on Twitter as well. At Blue Wire Pods. Uh, great content's being pumped out there daily. And not just because I'm one of the people in control of the Twitter account. We're also just a great follow overall. Good social media team there. Lots of good podcasts that you can get into. We've really cornered the market on the NBA and NFL with much more to come on esports, soccer, all that good stuff. With all that stuff aside now, though, we asked the question that everyone is clearly dying to know. Mo, how are you doing? Are your feelings hurt already? No, man, I don't, man, I don't feel you. <laughs> I don't feel you. <laughs> you don't, you don't get to me, Dan. <laughs> Uh, no, I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I'm ready to roll. Um, schedules out everything. This is we're we're getting ready. Team USA stuff's coming up. This is good times right now. Yeah. The all pullout squad for team USA. God, man. Like I understand Lowry. I didn't understand Bagley. (laughs) Was Was that just, did he sense that he wasn't going to make the roster and was just like, I'm out. I, I, I think you still just play, man. You know, I think you, you can get. A lot of valuable experience from that. It's good to kind of 
get to practice against some of the best in the NBA. I know a lot of guys pulled out, but still, like, it's a good opportunity to do that stuff. I think there's a, a growth potential. And then I think on top of it, it just helps you for the next year, you know, or, you know, he's a young guy, so maybe it's 2024. But, I mean, it that stuff kind of matters. And, you know, it's, it's just weird the number of guys that constantly keep pulling out. I understand Lowry because he was just – he was injured. You know, I he respect really, that he was there at all to begin with. Yeah, and, and, you know, he wanted to play. It was just like, hey, look, man, my thumb's still messed up. So uh, I understand that. But, yeah, man, it's a weird thing, and uh, you should be careful with the uh, all-pull-out team. <laughs> Maybe Bagley just needed to make sure he was there for those, like, late-night gym sessions with Harry Giles that he's that he was throwing up on social media. He just wanted to lift weights with his front-court brethren. The schedule... they, got a whole, they got a whole year of that. <laughs> the schedule, as you said, was released. Before I ask you anything that you want to note about it, do you? I, I appreciate the in-depth coverage of it when you just look at sort of the micro views of them from a team-by-team coverage basis, where you have the beat writers, the bloggers, just everyone who covers a specific team getting into back-to-backs, strength of schedule before and after the All-Star break, uh, people posting strength of schedules overall. Uh, the number of instances where they have back-to-backs or four games in five nights or five games in seven nights, whatever it may be. It's become almost exhausting to me. I guess it's the time of year that it's released and the fact that coverage is so popular, again, from team to team. So you're getting these really, if you follow the right people on Twitter, because these are all smart people, you're, you're getting these really just zoomed in focus shots of every team's schedule. And I find myself having schedule fatigue fewer than 24 hours after the schedule was released yeah i mean it we just get so excited i think sometimes we end up just getting a little bit pumped up and like oh this is a great uh the nba season's coming for me as a video guy before i dive into your question like this is when i was like okay now it's now there's stuff to work on because then i start setting up scouting schedule i start setting up you know really our calendar of this is who we're playing. These are the games, you know, they're five games that they play before we play them and things like that. So we kind of, this is like, Oh, okay. This is, this is what I'm going to work on this week. And, you know, it's kind of like, all right, this is the beginning of the, the start of the 2019, 2020 season. So that really, that's, that's always kind of what it signified to me. And it probably will never change in that aspect for me. Uh, But you're right. Like, we kind of get too excited. Like, you know, no offense to Marcus all. I don't care when he goes and plays in Memphis, you know, like I get, it, it's going to be a big moment for the Grizz, Memphis Grizzlies fans who loved him all those years and get to see him return as a champion. I'm not watching that game. Like, I'm just going to be honest, like odds are I'm not watching that game. So there's a lot of stuff where we, we poke a lot of stuff, the stuff I'm very curious about, you know, like you highlighted, back-to-backs, you know, who's got the most, What's who's got five games and seven nights the most, and things like that. I know the NBA's cut those down a bit. I personally think they should just get rid of all those altogether, and I'm a shorten-the-schedule kind of guy. Uh, but that's the – this is the fun time. This is like, all right, it's time to get excited. One thing – two things really surprised me. One, the number of national TV games the Pelicans got which is, if my math is correct, and it's a little bit early here, so forgive me, but it's like 30? Yeah, they were high up there. I think they were in the top five. I'll double-check that while you're talking, but they were... Zion's already a star. Right, and I'm just like, wow, we're really... I tweeted this out a few weeks ago, 
like the NBA's got to be careful not to force this team down people's throats just because this let it happen. Let this this team has a chance to be really good. Let it develop naturally. You know, I think they tried to force the Minnesota Timberwolves down our throats a few years ago and we saw how well that's turned out. You know, I think it's it's fun watching a team like Denver who kind of earned their way to the number of games they've gotten. And, and hopefully you have the list and you can tell me how many national TV games they have. But that's just it's too much too quickly, I think. And I'm like, wow, they're getting a opening night game and a Christmas Day game. I'm like, that seems a bit much. And now 30 like it's just a matter of like, man, this team better be good for a team that we think might not even make the playoffs. They're giving them a lot of publicity. Again, it's the Zion thing. Did Anthony Davis ever have a game on national TV, both on opening night and Christmas? I'm going to say no, because I think he only played on Christmas once in New Orleans. Yeah, I don't I don't I don't think they've ever played opening night with with Davis. I don't think he had an opening night run, but it just seems uh, it just seems absurd. Like we're getting too excited for this. And, you know, oddly enough, it's it's a the way the Pelicans are constructed, it's meant to not put pressure on Zion and they're doing it on their on their part but the NBA is now beginning to put a ton of pressure on Zion at this point where if the kid doesn't deliver early on man everybody's gonna start screaming oh I knew he was a bust blah 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 they got a rest did not play load management for him on opening night set the tone really taper the expectations that's a great way to get a fine to start the season (laughs) whatever uh, they are ninth, though, when you include the NBA TV, nationally televised games. Hat tip to um, Jared Dubbin, awesome NBA writer. He has the rankings here. The Lakers are, of course, number one. No one is absolutely surprised by by that. GS, uh, Golden State was two. Houston's three. Tied for third with the Clippers. All those teams really make sense. Milwaukee, I was pleasantly surprised, was in sixth. Um, and it's kind of good to see. I know they're putting pressure on Zion, but it's good to see the Pelicans in the top ten. Were you surprised that the Nets rank outside the top 10 in national TV games? Or is that kind of fait accompli when you look at the fact that Kevin Durant won't be playing? Yeah, I think if KD was there, they'd be in the top three. I think part of it is just like, yeah, without without KD, there's not much to, to really for, feel like people are going to get that excited about. I mean, Kyrie's kind of polarizing, so. I was also pleasantly surprised to see that the Knicks were in the bottom 10. So that was, uh, and they didn't have a Christmas Day game either. The NBA seems to be finally, or at least this season is getting away from that New York bugaboo. I know you said that you're in favor of fewer games. The thing that worries me, I get it from a quality of product standpoint, and I know owners or most owners would probably be against it. I just worry when you look at the downtime that NBA analysts and NBA Twitter have in the offseason, if you cut the games, I know the season won't necessarily be shorter, but if you just give them more downtime overall, I'm very concerned about what NBA Twitter will devolve into. Yeah, easy for me to just hit the close button and not have to deal with it. <laughs> Easier for me to just not, like, ah, screw this, I'm not dealing with y'all today. Um, I, I get the, the concern, but we'd get better. We would adjust. Uh, you have more faith in the collective than I do. Then Just a couple more questions on the schedule. Is there? I know you said you're not really going to circle – Marcus all going back to Memphis. Are there any returns that you are actually looking forward to? I do want to see Kyrie go back to Boston. I think that's going to be fun. Uh, I, I, yeah, I, I think November 27th for anyone who's wondering, I think that's the first time Kyrie Irving is back in Boston. And then, you know, 
Russ is going to get a standing O when he goes back lo- to Oklahoma City, so that's not going to be. F- I like when it's very angry. I like the angry, like screw this guy kind of thing. And I, I think Kyrie's the only guy that's really going to get that. I don't know if anybody else, any other fan base, really feels spurned by it or or whatnot by the the way free agency shook out. How do you feel about it? I'm very interested to see. Kristaps Porzingis, granted this isn't free agency, going back to Madison Square Garden November 14th, mostly because I don't, that's the one reaction where I don't think I could predict what's going to happen. Are there going to be boos? The fans do tend to understand, not that they're anti-team, but they're, they're most of them are anti-James Dolan. Uh, so maybe they'll cheer him because he was sort of a sign of hope during some of their most downtrodden times, but then you look at the circumstances under which, which he left, reports that uh, he didn't want to be there. That, that'll rub some fans the wrong way. What happens if he's playing well, entering that game really well? What if he's playing poorly in return from his left ACL injury? There's also, and we can't have necessarily an opinion on this because nothing's like sort of stemmed from it, but there were the rape allegations that were reported shortly right. after he was traded. But we know that I think they were, uh, that the accusation was made before he was dealt. There are just so many moving parts at play that I don't know if I had to pick, I I, I don't think I could about what the reaction is going to be from the fans when he returns. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. The one, there's one other point I wanted to make about the schedule that surprised me was the Lakers actually have a relatively easy schedule. They start the season pretty soft, which is normal, but you know, history has shown that the Lakers schedule gets a lot harder towards the end of the season and they end the season very soft schedule. I was surprised by that. Normally they, they have a real tough end of the season and that doesn't seem to be the case this year. So they kind of got a nice little break starting easy and starting soft. Now, granted the middle part's going to be hard, but if they're on a roll that could allow them to rest guys as they head into the playoffs. So that's going to be a interesting thing to keep an eye on there. My favorite thing about the strength of schedules is because they're skewed when you go look at the Western Conference teams compared to the Eastern Conference teams. And so at Ed Kupfer tweeted out these uh, just expe- expected opponent winning percentage graphs to chart the NBA's team's strength of schedule. And Milwaukee's for the entire season just never pr- approaches what is the league average line, which I find hysterical. It's it's because they play in the Eastern Conference and that they're the best team in the Eastern Conference and it, they're just the entire season. They're below that um, 500 mark, technically, when you look at the projections. And that, that's just something the only team in the NBA that has that. I just found that to be quite entertaining. Yeah, that, it's it's going to be really interesting. It's going to be a fun season. I'm very excited to see Tyus Jones return to Minnesota on December 1st. That's the return that I think I'm looking forward to most. Yeah, that's the kind of stuff, Dan, we expect from you. Yeah. The, my final, final <laughs> thing on that, is there any intrigue to when Chris Paul returns to Houston? Or is that just, not that it was an amicable split, but he just wasn't there long enough to engender any strong reactions from the Houston fans? I don't think so. I think Chris is going to play his ass off that game, but I don't think there's much of a, uh, I don't think fans really kind of have that dislike or hatred one way or the other for or or reverence for for Chris in any way. So I don't think that'll be an issue. Are you ready to get into some division grades? Let's do it, baby. Central division reverse winning percentage order as per usual. That means the Cleveland Cavaliers are first up. 
They were 19 and 63 last season. Some of their notable additions include Darius Garland, Dylan Windler, and Kevin Porter Jr. Some of their notable exits include Channing Fry, David Nawaba, J.R. Smith, Marky Chris, and Nick Stauskas. I don't have them for any notable re-signings. I gave them a B minus for their offseason. What did you give them, Mo? I gave him a B. A B. I don't think I think one name you left on that was pretty uh, left off your list on additions is pretty interesting. And John Beeline as the new head coach. I think this is going to be an interesting situation. It's low expectations, not expected to make the playoffs. Kind of give him a year to sort of figure out what coaching in the NBA is like. Because if I'm not mistaken, he's never even been an assistant at this level. So it's going to be a different experience for him. So this will be a good situation in that sense. I have no feel for Darius Garland. I mean, he played like, what, 20 minutes in college? So, and I mean total. Like, I'm not even, like, I don't know anything about his game. It's a guard. Everybody was talking about during the draft, that this could be like Damon CJ. I'm like, everybody needs to hold their horses. Like, Damon CJ are pretty damn good. And I'm not all that impressed by Colin Sexton. So, you know, although he started very slow, he got better at the end of the year. It's still got a ways to go, I think, for if, if they're going to make this comparison of Damon CJ. So, um, you know, but they didn't do anything that really hurt them, didn't hold them back. I think the one thing I'm watching for them is, you know, they're going to be a team at the trade deadline that's probably going to be a seller. They're going to get a bunch of calls, I imagine, about Kevin Love at that point. And people are going to be curious. Is there an opportunity? Can we steal away love? He's going to be a guy that contenders might be. Teams that are kind of close to contending are going to make a few phone calls on him and might put them in a good position in that sense. So I think uh, that's kind of the biggest thing I'm watching for them. John Beeline hire is interesting. And when I was putting together these notable additions, you weren't on the Pacific Division podcast. Maybe you would have called me out for not including the Lakers cadre of head coaches that are now on their roster. (laughs) 66 years old. Just an interesting hire when you look at the develop where the Cavaliers are in the stage of their development. I'm very intrigued to see how his offense will translate to the NBA. Uh, it's just you look at his timeline and this team's timeline, and they gave him a five year deal too. Correct? Uh, just, yeah. Just uh, okay, that's good security, and coaches don't always finish that. But I'm also not trying to have him fired or leaving before he even starts. Technically, I just thought it was it was not one that I saw coming. The Cavaliers seem like they kept their coaching search pretty close to the vest. And I don't know that anyone predicted he would leave Michigan after 12 seasons to go to Cleveland. I didn't mind their off season overall. There were some people who were bent out of shape that they ended up not trading J.R. Smith. They were just so close to the tax that they needed, they needed to kind of pinch their purse strings, even after waving him to make sure that they didn't hit it. And we can't champion teams saving owners money, but the Cavaliers have paid the tax in the past and it's not smart to pay the tax if you're not going to be a good team. And I just don't know what else you really would have wanted them to do. And it didn't seem like the salary dumping market was too robust. Like, yes, you had the Mo Harkless and Andre Godala stuff, but they weren't. those teams weren't looking to take any money back right. in return, really. And J.R. Smith's partial guarantee was almost $4 million. I don't have a problem that they ended up just waiving him. And if they did seem to do their due diligence, too, because they – got him to agree to extend his guarantee date there. I think they're really going to miss David Nawaba. They their best defender overall last year, and they don't really have a ton of strong or really any strong perimeter defenders on this roster. 
I don't have a feel for Darius Garland. I don't, again, I don't watch too much college basketball. It's sort of a crunch. You, you crunch these, you know, scouting videos and uh, just reports on these players leading up to the draft. Don't have a feel for him. Colin Sexton, I was actually pleasantly surprised by last season. Still an iffy shot selection, but he just shot the ball a lot better than I think anyone would have expected. Can he or Darius Garland, can one of them be a, a lead guard, though? That's a fair question to ask what is Kevin Porter Jr. going to look like he was sort of viewed as that dare to be great pick because of his potential shot creation leading into the draft but then he falls almost out of the first round and you put him on a team that's just teeming with ball dominant guards at this point it seems like a potentially combustible cocktail still I think they didn't do like you said nothing that really compromised their future and I don't think anything you can argue against maybe some people wanted to see them draft for fit a little bit more when they took Garland, but when you're the Cavs and you're really light on young players and building blocks to begin with, I think you just draft for, for talent, which is what they ended up doing. And I'm perfectly fine with that. Yeah. And the, the people who are upset that they didn't trade J.R. Smith, I'm like, guys, they've been trying to trade him for an entire year. You know, just the pure fact that they could never find a deal should just tell you there was nothing left. Like they, they exhausted everything they possibly could to make a move and it never came to fruition. So I'm never going to ding them for that. If the market's not there, the market's just not there. Yeah, I, I'm with you. It'll be interesting to see what these guards are, are, are like as they progress in their career. And on top of it, like you said, you kind of nailed it, you know, with the draft, you just got to draft talent at this point. I have no anticipation of them being any good. So, uh so just get the best young guys you can get and, you know, take a risk on Porter and see what happens, you know, and maybe it works out. Maybe it doesn't. But, you know, at that point, you got nothing to lose. We're in agreement there. I think we're also in agreement that it's time to move on to the Chicago Bulls. They were last season 22 and 60. Their notable additions this offseason include Kobe White, Daniel Gafford, Luke Cornett, Thaddeus Young, Thomas Sadoransky. Notable exits include Robin Lopez, Timothy Luol Cabro, Wayne Selden, Walter Lemon Jr. Notable re-signings I have Ryan Archie Diacono and Shaquille Harrison. I gave them a very strong B plus and probably could have talked myself into an A minus. What did you end up giving them? Yeah, I'm pretty plain here. I went with another B. I like what they did though. They're going for it. You know, they're, I mean, when I mean going for it, not going to win a championship, but they're trying to compete. They're trying to be put together a team that can sort of work together and, and make a run at the playoffs. I think this is going to be interesting. I think Kobe White was a great draft pick for them. Really do need that kind of point guard. You know, Chris Dunn just hasn't really been the guy for them. You know, not that he's been terrible or anything. It's just, he's, he's not a, lead guard he's not a guy I feel comfortable when I'm looking at the starting lineup going like he's going to carry us tonight I think Kobe White has that potential to kind of really run things and help them out it just comes down to health man if this if Laurie Markkinen can stay healthy you know I I love Wendell Carter Jr. I love all the pieces they brought in Thad Young Sadoransky all these guys I think they have a they have a chance to be a playoff team I mean they're going to compete for a playoff spot and you can't ask for anything better than that and I think they just made a lot of smart moves, which is pretty rare for Chicago. My favorite by far was the Sadoransky signing. Seems like a perfect fit for a team that doesn't needs a point guard, but you don't want too ball-dominant of a floor general because you do have Zach Levine and Kobe White. They also experimented with Otto Porter running things a bunch 
last year towards the end of the season. And Sadoransky's just perfect for what they needed there. Uh, 60% of his made baskets came off assists last season, and he shot almost 40% on spot of three-pointers. But he's also someone who can really get into the lane, has some nice deceleration in the half court to throw defenses off guard, and can sort of run things. That'll be a nice bridge as they're looking to get away from relying on too much on Zach Levine, but also giving Kobe White some reps. And a lot of smart draft people think that Kobe White's going to be just a spectacular fit for what he can do off the ball too. And so now you're looking at an offense that suddenly has the potential to be a lot more dynamic than it was last season. What I think we need to see though, is what the system actually looks like under Jim Boylan. They, it was just, it was kind of a mess last year. It just seemed like too much post work. Uh, Wendell Carter Jr. was terrible once Boylan took over. Didn't even look at the basket sometimes when he was catching the ball. I don't know what, they posted up Laurie Markin, it seemed like way too many times under Boylan. And a lot of those occasions came late in the shot clock. Also, they've talked since after drafting Kobe White about really pushing the pace. That's something that we need to kind of see before we believe it, but they are built to sort of play that way. My only, it's not a qualm, I think just maybe an oddity of their offseason was the Thaddeus Young deal, just because he needs to play the four, as does Markkinen, and you'd like to see Otto Porter Jr. get some minutes up front as well. I'm kind of in just the whatever point, because Thaddeus Young is a good player, probably one of the best help defenders in basketball right now, and is just going to do wonders for their locker room. And now you can play sort of positionless or at least really big where no one's going to get destroyed. If you wanted to play Wendell Carter Jr., Mark and Porter and Thaddeus Young at the same time, you technically could. I don't know how good of a lineup that would be, but it's something that you can look at. And so it was just, you look, they gave real money for Thaddeus Young, which is why I think it's worth noting. But overall, their offseason was just, it was super strong, brought in guys who can help and then I really do believe that the Thaddeus Young addition and the role that he's going to end up playing but behind the scenes will be not a turning point, but will end up being paramount to this team's development. And should they end up contending for a playoff spot, he'll probably be a big reason why. Yeah, I mean, he was huge for Indiana, I thought. I thought he was a big piece for them, you know, in the, the past few years. I think the, the one thing I do want to touch on is, you're right, the Boylan is the biggest question mark. You know, what's what's his offense going to look like? Is he going to take advantage of all these ball handlers? Because it is true. They have a ton of guys that can make plays and and do stuff with the balls. Oh, God, that sounded bad. Um, that can do stuff with the ball. Um, I, I think Boylan can ha, has to sort of open things up and and really kind of allow these guys to play. And that's going to be the biggest question. He might be the one guy that holds them back from a playoff spot. Wow, that's a strong take. Were you surprised that they ended up extending him? I think he did a good enough job winning the players back. I mean, I felt like at the end, like Zach Levine, you know, it started out very rocky with with the players and that almost that whole mutiny and that weird, you know, Zach Lowe loves to make fun of it, that leadership council thing that they did or whatever. Um, it started out, it was, yeah. It started out very corny and hokey and things, and it started out really bad. Um but I think he slowly won these guys over. But now he's got a coach. And the thing is, you know, he, from what I saw, and this is obviously an outside perspective, but just, you know, he kept saying stuff of like, I'm a hard nose. He looks like a college coach to me. 
I'm a hard nosed coach. You know, this is the way coach pop did it and da 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 and all this stuff and things like that. I'm like, yo, one, you're not coach pop. Coach pop is great with his players in terms of relationships and understanding when to push and when not to, it doesn't seem like you pick that up in San Antonio Two, you know, pop is always willing to open up his offense and let things go, you know, and, and really kind of pops changed the way he's allowed those first to play from when he first started to now it's a very different team been very different has had to change and he's changed with the times you know it doesn't feel like Boylan has and I think that's the stuff where I'm very curious with him and that's where I'm like yo man this is going to be something like you got to open up your offense you got to take advantage of the fact that you actually got good wings as well and you can't just sit there and try to post Wendell Carter Jr. or marketing or things like that you got to kind of open things up and let it go if he does that, they're going to be pretty good and they're going to compete for a playoff spot. If he doesn't and he's the one that's holding him back, I mean, he he might be out of a job pretty soon. I'm going to set their over-under at ninth in the Eastern Conference. Are you taking them getting a higher seed or a lower seed than that? No, I'm almost dead even with you. I think they do just kind of just miss out on a playoff spot. You know, I think it's just... It, the thing is, the East is so bad. I, I have, I, it's hard to gauge. After- there are six teams that I think end up being clearly better than them if they stay together. That would be Philly, Boston, Brooklyn, Toronto. I'm including them, Milwaukee, and Indiana. After that, you get into the realm of maybes with Indiana, Detroit. Oh no, excuse me, Detroit, Miami, Orlando. Maybe Atlanta takes some people by surprise. Yeah, I mean, it's going to, I mean, that's about it. You know, I think Atlanta's too young, uh, but they'll, they'll be feisty. I think they're going to be just in that mix. I don't know if they have enough to, to really uh, make that leap yet, but we'll see. I mean, it's going to be an interesting season for the Bulls, but it's, it's going to be, it can be a turning point season for them, or it could be a step back. It's one or the other. Football season is here, people. It's time to start placing your bets for NFL and college football. Blue Wires teaming up with sports information traders and the legend John Price, one of the world's most successful sports bettors. So our listeners are given the chance to make more money on football this season. Go to sportsinformationtraders.com slash blue and get the college football and NFL future plays and make up to 15 times your money off of a $99 investment. Last year, sports information traders correctly predicted the Clemson Tigers to win the college football championship, making one client alone $110,000. That could be you. The year before that, Kurt Presley of sports information traders made a million dollars. You heard that correctly. A million dollars with a preseason wager on the Philadelphia Eagles to win the Super Bowl. John Price and the Sports Information Traders team can guide you on the best ways to make money on future bets and preseason football betting picks. You get all of that for $99 and the opportunity to make up to 15 times your money. It's totally worth getting Sports Information Traders betting picks. Sports Information Traders has been featured in ESPN, Gambling911.com, Entrepreneur Magazine, and many more. John Price has been successfully making money betting on sports for over 20 years. Make a big return for a small investment with Sports Information Traders Future Picks. 
get started now by going to sportsinformationtraders.com slash blue. Again, make sure you go to sportsinformationtraders.com slash blue to have a chance to make 15 times a return on your football betting this season. We did mention the Pistons. They are next up. They were third in the Central Division last year at 41-41, and 41, dead even. Their notable additions this offseason include Christian Wood, Derek Rose, Jordan Bone, Markeith Morris, Sekou Demboya, Tim Frazier, and Tony Snell. Notable exits include Glenn Robinson III, Ish Smith, John Lohr, Jose Calderon, Wayne Ellington, and Zaza Pachulia. I did not have them making any notable re-signings. I gave them a C+. What did you give them? I gave them a C. I just felt like they stood pat. I don't feel like they've they didn't get better. They didn't get worse. Uh, I think a lot of it all depends on. Again, it's just one of those things where their whole season depends on Blake Griffin's knee and how healthy is that knee. And this seems to be just such a reoccurring problem for them. They're a very different team when he's healthy and rolling, and and they really struggle when he's not. So I think it just kind of comes down to that. They got a great coach in Dwayne Casey. It's going to be interesting to see how he uses Derrick Rose, who kind of had a renaissance last year. I still don't think he's all that great of a shooter. I don't buy all that stuff, but nice to have another guy that can try to, you know, get to the rim and and try to make plays. So it'll be interesting, but I they didn't get better and they didn't get worse. They just stayed the same, and that's why they got to see. I went as high as a C plus and could be talked into going lower. But I liked the gamble on Sekou Demboya, and I also liked the Tony Snell acquisition. That just seemed like a shrewd kind of small key, small scale move that'll end up really helping them. Finally having a wing who can both defend and shoot. Overall, though, the offseason was lateral, if unsettlingly weird. Markeith Morris is an intriguing flyer at his price point. Two years, six point six million. But the Pistons almost have to get creative for him to have a genuine impact. He's not someone who should be playing the three. And you have Blake Griffin, as you already mentioned, monopolizing time at the four. I'm wondering if Dwayne Casey will consider using Griffin Morris front courts when Andre Drummond is catching a breather. That's something they could look at. Something else that really just rubbed me the wrong way was going after Derrick Rose. Two years and fifteen million dollars is a lot for an injury-prone point guard on the verge of turning 31 who has reached just 60 games just twice since 2011-2012. And a lot has been made of his improved shooting from last year. I want to make this very clear. Derrick Rose has not earned the benefit of the doubt as a three-point shooter. Last year's uptick was skewed by his scorching-hot November. He shot 25% from deep the rest of the way, That accounted for a 31-game sample that represents more than 60% of his total appearances. And when you have Derrick Rose, like he was at the beginning of the season, hitting three-pointers off the dribble, it's it's hard to believe in that until you see it happen again for a longer period of time. And yes, it helps having someone who can get to the rim, particularly if Reggie Jackson, even though he seems like he's healthy for the first time in a zillion off-seasons, If his first step isn't going to be the same, Rose will help you there. But he compromises your spacing if he's not going to replicate uh, last year's overall three-point clip. That could end up being an awkward, if potentially hurtful, fit for them. 
and they paid him real money. It's just two years, but it's two years and, and $15 million. I thought that was a, a curious gamble, to say the least, there for them. Yeah, I think they just they needed a little bit more kind of oomph. And I think Rose kind of brings at least that to the rim. I don't I don't count him as a shooter. And he and he'll screw up spacing a little bit. And that's going to be a challenge for them that they'll have to figure out. But I'm just I'm curious in the way in which Casey's going to use him. You know, is he insurance for Reggie Jackson if Reggie Jackson gets hurt and then they start kind of having him sort of be a try to be a full time playmaker. You know, it's a little bit easier with Blake because Griffin can do uh, can initiate the offense very much. So at the elbows, almost at the top, he could be your point forward to a degree. So they, they got interesting pieces. It's all about how you put it together now. And I'm with you on the Rose thing. Like, I don't he's not a shooter. We're not there yet. It, it, it takes a while. And he's, you know, even if he has a, you know, he got hot early in the year and faded badly where we still got a long ways to go before we we talk about him as a shooter because it's a consistent thing and that's something he doesn't have. But it's also at the same time, like the Snell thing's nice. Nothing moved the needle. Nothing got me excited for the Pistons where I'm like, oh, the Pistons going to be good. <laughs> like, eh. It was just one of those things where I was just like, eh, okay. All right. That's like, okay, that's where he ended up. All right, move on. You know, now if the kid from the European kid that they drafted is, it has doesn't turn 19 until December, by the way. Yeah, you, what, a, what a child. Um, what a child. I mean, he's a child. He's, a, he's 18 right now. Um, he's a basketball baby. Yeah, he's a basketball baby. You know, if if he's something to get excited about, that's going to be great, and that'll be fun to watch. And at that point, it kind of becomes a different uh, – If it, I wonder if it changes the team's sort of direction if they try to decide to be like, all right, we got to develop him. It's all on him. You know, if they start kind of selling off guys – it's going to be an interesting. It's going to be an interesting season for them. I still think they're they're one of the teams that makes the playoffs in the East, uh, but that's it. Like they're a first round out at best. The uh, this probably isn't a, a problem next season because I don't think he's a contributor next season. But when you have Sekou and Boy, it seems like he's eventually just going to need to be a power forward, which is Blake Griffin's position. And so you don't think long term, maybe because he's on his rookie scale you make it work with Blake Griffin and Andre Drummond, but Drummond has a player option after next season that he very well could decline when you look at the market or just how, how much heat bigs have taken in recent years. So maybe there's something to let me explore free agency. I'm young enough to at least get another long-term bag. Just, just something to watch there. If things are going to move the needle for them, it seems like it's just going to happen from in-house. There have been the trademark empty gym off season videos with Blake Griffin sporting a quicker release. If that translates, that's huge. Probably more realistically, you look at can Bruce Brown shoot better from from three-point range, and can you trust Luke Kennard to maybe do a little bit more off the dribble as well? They dabbled in that last year. Can he be someone who they've really tried to test out some of their previous wings? Can they run pick and roll? Is he someone who could eventually do that? We saw him hit some nice jumpers off the dribble last year, but can that be something he does in, in more of an expansive sample? Those seem like the types of developmental just improvements that that could really swing the season for them rather than any one move or addition that that they made otherwise yeah the one thing i'd say and and this is unfair every time somebody mentions luke Kennard, i'm just like i can't believe they drafted him over mitchell that's it's not fair to him but that's all i think sometimes like how, how much more fun this team would be if they had donovan mitchell 
How much how much more fun would the Nuggets be if they had Donovan Mitchell though? I'm gonna let that go because they've made that the, they have a future. Like that they, <laughs> they have, have a, a future and Detroit doesn't. Wow. Well, I mean, let's be honest. Like we're talking about Detroit potentially fighting for a playoff spot, whereas the Nuggets are a lock most likely in the West unless something goes terribly wrong. Like it's not a it, it's it's I don't I don't equate the two in that sense. You know, like we'd be talking a very different Pistons team if they had Donovan Mitchell. Those what ifs, those what ifs, excuse me, can hurt a little bit. I try not to penalize teams too much for that. Was he at the time? Was it just a no brainer decision? This needs to be Donovan Mitchell. I'm I'm the last guy to say I'm I'm looking at it after the fact like a jerk. Uh, I'm the <laughs> last guy to really like I didn't. I don't know the draft well enough. It'd have to be, we'd have to ask draft people. Um, maybe this could be Andy's niche. If he ever comes on our podcast again, um, (laughs) (laughs) taking a few shots. Um, stop having a son, Andy, and stop being, stop having a children, family, and a job as a lawyer. Andy, quit trying to be a respectable person in the community. Yeah. Getting out of control. Donovan Mitchell side note, by the way, this is something I stumbled across a few months ago, and I wouldn't say I was triggered, but I, I think it's stupid. On Basketball Reference, his two nicknames are Spider and Spida. Those are not separate nicknames. Just leave them as Spider. <laughs> like, come up with something different. We don't get to list both Spider and Spida. I'm sorry. I think uh, – <laughs> no, I'm not going to say what I was going to say. I'll tell you that one later. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, we should move on before I get in trouble. <laughs> to the Indiana Pacers, 48 and 34 last – year second in the central division they they had an offseason i'll say that notable additions i have them as cj wilcox gogo batadze um jeremy lamb justin holiday malcolm brogdon tj mcconnell and tj warren notable exits include boyan bogdanovich Corey joseph darren collison kyle o'quinn thaddeus young tyreek evans who has been banned from the nba and wesley matthews notable re-signings i have edmund sumner and did they re-sign Elise Johnson? Did they do something where they waived him and whatever? I, I don't actually know. I can't remember. Their offseason was absolutely wild. But I gave them a B plus, almost against my better judgment, because I like so many of their moves at an individual level, and I'm not sure how to interpret it them in the aggregate. But what did you give them? I gave them a B. Uh, getting Brogdon was huge. Uh, finding a way to kind of steal TJ Warren I thought was really smart and helpful. The first off, the the Pacers, I grossly underestimated them last year. I kept just waiting for the shoe to fall, you know, once Oladipo was hurt, and they stayed solid. I, the, finishing, I think they finished what fifth in the in the in the East. Yes, sir. You know, but they were they were solid in there the whole time. They even though they got swept, it was a matter of like those were all close games against Boston for the most part. I. The thing is, I'm very concerned about the Oladipo injury. Like, it's one of those injuries to me that I'm like, man, this could stay with this kid for a very long time. You know, they're talking about him coming back December, January. This is one of those things where it's like he can come back, but it's going to take a while to really trust in his knee and be able to fire off. And I'm worried if it's just going to be one of those things where he's just going to have knee problem after knee problem for a while. Knock on wood that that doesn't happen. I never want to see that with any player. The, if if he doesn't come back to being Oladipo, I'm not that impressed with all those moves. Like Malcolm Brogdon's nice and he's a good player, 
But I mean, and they had to. They had to crazy overpay him to to make sure Milwaukee didn't match. But they overpaid him. And you know, if you don't have all depot, I'm not sure how how good that Brogdon signing is. Like he's good with Oladipo, but if Oladipo's, you know, not Oladipo, I'm not sure that's a a good signing for them. So it's a challenge for them. It's going to be a very interesting year. They're, they got to start off pretty strong out of the gate just because, you know, if Oladipo comes back and they struggle, it's going to be a rough year for them. Even if he does come back too, there's still the question of, what is the point guard situation for them? We don't need to get bogged down by the definition of a true point guard, but they do lack a conventional floor general or table setter, if, if you want to call it that. Malcolm Brogdon is a great shooter. Can he create his own shot? What does an offense look like when he's just the primary point guard? Some of Milwaukee's lineups when he played without Giannis and Eric Bledsoe absolutely destroyed opponents, but you're looking at the quality of talent he was facing was much lower than he'll see as a starter in Indiana if he's given the keys to the offense and he will be I'm assuming before Victor Oladipo comes back you have TJ McConnell but he's more game manager than than anything else I I just Jeremy Lamb's not he's not a table setter he can he's probably their best or aside from Oladipo Jeremy Lamb's probably their second best mm-hmm. shot creator unless you want to throw us a bonus in there uh, who's it's who's the best playmaker on this team is it Oladipo is it Aaron Holiday is it Sabonis that could end up being, I think, a real issue for them. Well, I mean, they got a few other issues, not just the point guard stuff. And I think they're going to have Brogdon run the floor. I think that's just my my guess. Whether he can do that or not, it's a whole different story. But the other issue they have is, you know, what are they going to do with Turner and Sabonis? You know, they're going to play them together. That hasn't really worked out all that well. It's just it's it's a very weird situation. I could almost see them at some point making a move to kind of uh, addition by subtraction move, you know, moving one of those guys, getting a few assets and then kind of taking off just because that whole team is, is a lot of good individual talents. Like, Oh, I like that guy. I like that guy, but I'm not, I I don't know how it all meshes well together. So it's good. I mean, it's going to be interesting. I, the other thing with Brogdon too is, you know, there it's, it's the same thing with Pascal Siakam that I said in the other pod, it's a matter of, it's different when you're the guy and teams can key in on you. You know, they don't have to worry about Giannis. They don't have to worry about you kicking it out to Brooke Lopez or Chris Middleton or any of those guys. You know, now it's, it's especially when Old Depot's not out there, you know, it's, I mean, who on that team scares you? You know, when, it, when, when you're putting together your defensive game plan, you're like, wow, this is a nice collection of parts, but, you know, we're going to lock in on brogdon now and let's see how good he is and he's good at straight line drives he's a good shooter and things like that but gets a it's a lot easier when you're the third or fourth option on a team versus when you're the first or second option and you have a lot better defenders guarding you so it's it's going to be interesting it's it's it was like i said they overpaid to get him you had to do it they made a move let's see how it plays out now but it's a risk it's definitely a gamble and the sabonis turner stuff it's absolutely something to monitor. I've talked about this a bunch with Caitlin Cooper of Indy Cornrows. They just don't seem like a palatable fit, and it's even more tenuous when you don't have Oladipo on the floor. Last year, they played together without Oladipo for 626 possessions. Depending on who you talk to, that's an insubstantial sample size or it's an adequate one. Their offensive rating was in the 18th percentile during those minutes. 
that's and they played nearly dead even because they had a good enough defense. Now the defense looks a little bit differently because TJ Warren's a great acquisition in a vacuum, but one, is he going to shoot 42.8% from three on almost five attempts per 36 minutes next year when he, before last season, uh, he wasn't considered a good shooter from beyond the arc. And I, I think through his first four seasons, he was actually a third, 28.3% shooter from deep. And you're going to have him playing the three a bunch if you're consigning yourself to a Sabonis Turner front court. And he's played the three a ton, but he's probably best suited at the four, particularly if he's not going to play make, which is something that we really haven't seen from him. This is the rare roster where it seems like the Pacers are suddenly geared towards offense, and yet they're guaranteed nothing on the offensive side of the floor. Even Jeremy Lamb, not a spectacular shooter, maybe a league average guy from deep. It helps that he can create his own shot. But but again, where are you getting that primary facilitation from? I talked myself into a B plus just because I thought they were they were crafty. And when you look at the players they added, all of them, without looking at the bigger picture, look like good moves. And I, Brogdon's going to end up being a good move even if you had to overpay him because he'll fit whatever iteration of the Pacers that, that are built. It's everyone else that you kind of have to worry about. And when you look at this roster, who is the best, who's the best shooter aside from Brogdon? Who's their second best shooter? Is it Turner? I mean, it might be. I don't even know. I mean, there's like he he's almost hesitant to shoot the three sometimes, too. You know, like when he's setting that high pick and roll, he's not always popping out to the top of the keys, popping out to the elbow. And that's a, a source of frustration, I would imagine, for any coaching staff. So I'm not even sure like he might be the best percentage wise, but I'm not even sure how much he really wants to shoot that. Oh, it's got to be Dermot is number two. He's on this team, too. Number three, though, that that's the tough question they're just you look at i'm looking at their depth chart they have i for, i i set them at the top of this segment but i forgot they had justin holiday too just a lot of mishmash of talent that i'm not sure it's going to fit together on the offensive end and i'm not sure how they're going to defend as part of the bigger picture the pacers are kind of flexing i think on their team or just their ability to coach defense and develop defenders which is fine if it all comes together on the offensive end and i'm, I'm not sure it will I'm very <clears throat> skeptical of the he's going to develop into a defender if they're not already a defender. Um, defense, <clears throat> whoa, whoa, boy. Um, defense has a lot to do with instinct. And I don't know if that's something you can develop. Now, you can teach it. You can work on rotations. You can have this stuff down and things like that. But it's I'm, I'm very skeptical. of the, And if that's their coaching attitude of like, don't worry, we're going to develop them as defenders. I'm oh boy, good luck. Well, maybe it's more on the level that they believe they can cover up for certain things because you have Miles Turner, who's one of the more mobile bigs in the game. And I'll let you use Boyan Bogdanovich as an example. Wasn't known for his defense anywhere he's gone, including Indiana, but people viewed him as sort of this net negative uh, in Washington and, and in Brooklyn. But he comes to Indiana and he's he's basically okay. And is that something that TJ Warren? could do uh, can they get by with tj warren at the four more because maybe they wouldn't need him to be the rebounder that phoenix needed him to be in those lineups and it just wouldn't work when he was at power forward maybe that's the type of things that they're sort of banking on still just risks all around and i can i can respect those risks was why i and i can't pronounce risks today for some reason but it's why i gave them a b plus is i really respect all the chances that they kind of took I mean, they, they, they're swinging. I don't know what their goal is. You know, I don't, I don't look at them as the third best team is in the East. 
And, and, and a lot of that has to do with the old depot injury. Like I said, I'm very concerned about that. And I think this team is built. This team looks very differently when you say, okay, we have a healthy Oladipo, and he's he's the engine. He's our best player. He's the guy that makes this thing go. But if he's not healthy, then I'm not sure these, these are pieces that totally make sense to me. One quick note before we move on to the Bucks: Alizé Johnson, his contract was guaranteed. They did not re-sign him. My apologies for the mistake there. On how to the could, How could you, Dan? Unforgivable. You? Pretty much like everything else I say. Unforgivable. The Milwaukee Bucks, though, 60-22 and 22 last season. Just wild. Their notable additions include Cameron Reynolds, Cameron Reynolds Dragon Bender, Frank Mason III, Kyle Korver, Robin Lopez, Tanasis Atentacumpo, Wesley Matthews. Notable exits include John Lohr, Malcolm Brogdon, Nikola Mirotic, Pau Gasol, Tim Frazier, and Tony Snell. Their notable re-signings include Brooke Lopez, George Hill, and Chris Middleton. I gave them a B. What did you give them? Um, I'm going to get in trouble here. I gave them a C. The uh, the one guy you didn't mention was Eric Bledsoe when they're, you know, when they signed him to the extension. That was mid season. That doesn't count. That does count. I include it because that. You should have called me out for not including Jim Boylan's extension under the Bulls as notable additions. Eh, coach is coach. Uh, it's a different story. Uh, but the the reason why I count it is that's also what led to them losing Brockton. You know, like once they re-signed him, I was like, oh, I don't know if they're going to be able to keep. That's when everybody was like, oh, they might not be able to keep everybody. Those were concerns already. But once they did that, it was like, okay. And we saw the playoffs he had. Like the way he was in the conference finals, he was terrible. And I don't trust him. And that's the first thing that kind of scares me. Man, what you? why you got all this beeping going? Don't concern yourself with the beeping. This is, no. this is live podcasting. I'm concerned. I feel like you're calling people in Milwaukee to come at me. Um, I have, I mean, Brogdon was really important to that team. I think you overpaid to get Chris, keep, you're paying Chris Middleton number two option money when he's really a third option on a championship team. You, you had to pay Brooke Lopez. Totally get that. You know, you, I like, you know, George Hill is going to end up probably, I mean, George Hill had a nice, renaissance last year i don't know if that continues i mean we saw him kind of go up and down over the few years i mean last time we saw him play really well was utah and that was a few years ago um i i have concerns in that regard i think they're going to miss brogdon more than people realize and the one thing i wanted them to bring in more than anything else was a secondary playmaker and i don't know who that would have been and with what money and things like that but I would have liked to have seen them kind of take some of the playmaking responsibilities off of Giannis's hands because we saw what happened in the playoffs. They play one way all year, and it was phenomenal. 62 wins is nothing to sneeze at. But as soon as it started to cause problems for them in that Toronto series, they weren't able to change. They weren't able to go another way because they've only played this one way. And I think that's where you need to have that second ball handler that can kind of create and help and make things easier to to get Chris Middleton other looks, you know, and things like that. And I think that's something they're really missing and them not getting it really kind of uh, irked me. And that, that might not even be a, a urgent thing on their mind. Maybe they don't think they need it. I think they do. And I think that's kind of what would could really have sent them over to the championship last year would, would have having that kind of guy and, and losing Brogdon, who was 
kind of just a, a perfect utility guy, I think hurts them now. I think they're, and, and, and when I say hurts them, they're still going to be a, a top two team in the East. They're still, I mean, they're still, I still have them in the Eastern conference finals, if not all the way to the finals. So, you know, they're, they're, they're up there. It's, it almost maybe could be me nitpicking, but I just think it's a matter of like, this could be an issue for them. And it's something that they have to keep an eye on and they're going to have to figure out how to play another way. They, they nailed the one way. Perfect. Now, can you fi- have a second thing to go to when that's not working? Cause they thought in the regular season, man, nobody's going to stop this. Well, somebody stopped it and they didn't have anything else to go to. And that's something they got to figure out. And I just don't even think they have that. I don't think they have the guys that can do that. You know, George Hill isn't what he used to be. This isn't something that's going to happen. Eric Bledsoe is not a great playmaker. You know, he's a bull in a China shop. Yeah. You have these things like Chris Middleton isn't going to create for other guys. Chris Middleton's going to feed off other guys creating for him. So I think all that stuff, it's, it's going to be an interesting year. I mean, they're they're I, I doubt they're going to win 60 games, but they're going to be up there in the East. They're going to be a top two team, but I have questions. And they're all fair. The, the, the loss of Brogdon is uncomfortable because of how Eric Bledsoe has played in the playoffs the past two seasons. For the regular season, you can probably argue they'll be fine, and maybe the loss of Brogdon will be softened if George Hill ends up playing like he did for stretches during the playoffs. I know you said he's not what he once was, but maybe he's somewhere in between what we saw from him for those longer stretches in the postseason and what he kind of was once he went to Sacramento a couple years ago, and, and that ends up helping them. What I think really does aid their offseason is, one, they got a lot of mileage out of out of the minimum when you look at Wesley Matthews and, and Kyle Korver. That helps the optics of their offseason. And when you're talking about the number of free agents that they had, this was an offseason in which they could have gotten a lot worse, and they at least managed to tread water. I still think suck it up, figure out a way to pay the tax, and you can pay Brogdon. That's also a fair critique. But you're looking at, again, just that sheer number of flight risks that they did have. They were able to keep Brooke Lopez, a non-bird free agent. You were able to bring back George Hill at a more reasonable number. You kept Chris Middleton at less than the max number, which is not a bargain. And I'm not saying the deal is going to age well, but but you did it. And you look at what else happened around the Eastern Conference. Who got noticeably better? You can argue on the contrary, Toronto and Boston are both appreciably worse, and maybe Philly's better. So so maybe their offseason, I'd be harder on them if we were looking at a team that was really ready to pounce at them in the East or was head and shoulders better than them, but I don't see that right now. Still, the, the loss of Brogdon, I don't have anything to add to what you said, and the other thing that I am wondering, what is just their who's defending the bigger forwards aside from Giannis Atentacupo when you look at this roster. I'm not saying, you know, Miritich was this great defender, but when you add up losing him, losing Tony Snell, now you're all of a sudden gonna become more reliant on Ursan Ilyasova, Pat Connaughton, Sterling Brown. That's just something that gets a, a little bit interesting. And there was when you look at Brogdon, he can approximate the defensive value of a wing, maybe not necessarily against a bigger wing, but he wasn't defending point guards a ton of the time. That was Eric Bledsoe and George Hill isn't going to have the same. He can play against twos, but he's not going to have that same defensive range as Malcolm Brogdon. And so when you look just on balance, it seems like they're slightly less 
versatile on the defensive end, and maybe they have the depth to withstand that or were good enough defensively overall and the way that they defend under Coach Bud. Perhaps it really doesn't matter too much. That's just one thing that's still sort of pulling at me when, when you look at what happened during their offseason. Well, like a few things, you know, one name you I'm, I'm not sure you mentioned, but DJ Wilson is the guy people seem to be very excited about. So we'll see maybe if that development kind of helps in that sense. But, you know, you mentioned Kyle Korver signing. He's like 90. You know, Wesley Matthews has never really been the same since the, the Achilles. Like, it's not like these are guys. Well, I'm, I'm not giving them points for signing guys that are that are literally towards the end. And it's like, I, I, I just don't buy it. Now, Corver can shoot. We get that. But it wasn't like he was that great in Utah. Like it wasn't, I just wasn't blown away by it. So, you know, and, and, and the same with Matthews, like, it's nice. It's like, Oh, that's cute and all, but that's why I gave him a C too, is they just kind of treaded water. And maybe that's what you do when you're the best team in the East and had the best record in the NBA. Uh, but you know, I just think, I think they're going to miss Brogdon more. I think that Bloodsoe contract is going to come back to hurt them more in the playoffs than the regular season. I think yeah, I, I, I think they're missing that second guy that can kind of create a, uh, an, a a shot for somebody else, and that's going to come back and haunt them. I mean, we made a joke in one of my earlier appearances of like, man, I the, the guy I'd love to see on that team is Chris Paul, you know, and you know, obviously not at the money and all that stuff. And before everybody goes nuts, but it's that kind of guy that can create, you know, or like we had talked about, like Mike Connolly at the time or some, that kind of guy that can open things up for everybody else. Cause if you can take just a little bit of pressure off of Giannis, like that's really impressive because then that means Giannis can go even harder on the possessions. He has the ball. And then you're, then you're taking a, you're taking a leap and going to another level. I just don't think they did. You know, I thought I, and, and it all started for me when they did the Eric Bledsoe signing. Cause right then and there, I just thought like, Oh, that's a mistake, you know? And I, and, and it's not like they overpaid for him or anything like that. It's a reasonable deal. Maybe you can move him whatnot, but I just don't think he brings the value that you, that you need at that position to be a championship team. It was sort of the, I don't want to say hindsight's 2020 with that extension because it seems overly cruel. I was a fan of it when it was signed because four years, $70 million for him and the the final year is only partially guaranteed. That seems like a win, but then he goes and kind of lays another dud in the playoffs. That's he's all of a sudden, he's kind of the swing piece now because you don't have Brogdon. Is he all the things that you're talking about that they need? I think you might be underselling what Middleton can do as a shot creator, but you're definitely spot on that he's not a number two guy, and that's what he's being paid for. Can Eric Bledsoe just be a Middleton equal or just slightly better than him in just that specific department? Because maybe that makes things a little bit easier. If he's not, though, then yeah, everything you're everything you're saying, red alarm fire. Yeah, and and that's my concern for the Bucks. Now, this listen, this doesn't mean I don't think the Bucks are capable of winning a championship this year. I mean, the whole field's wide open, and in the East, it's really them and Philly. So, you know, uh, it, just kind of looking at their offseason, I mean, you were you were looking at it, and I've done it before. We're like, well, nobody around them got better, so they're fine. Uh, but I thought they could have taken a, a another leap had they found that guy. And I don't know how they would have. Maybe that guy wasn't out there and it's an impossibility and I'm just being an unfair jerk, which is 
Well, I think the criticism is there are permutations of this offseason where they keep Brogdon. Well, I mean, uh, uh, but to me, that starts again with the Bledsoe extension that you gave him. Like, I just don't think that was it was a great deal money wise, like you said, partially guaranteed last year. It's it's team friendly, but it cost you Brogdon, I think. And I think that's what that I, I would rather have Brogdon than Eric Bledsoe any day and I don't think any people are going to argue that so I just think in that situation I kind of would have been more than willing to let Bledsoe walk and find a way to hold on to Brogdon uh but you know they made their they made their bed in March and I think that's when it kind of became a thing of like all right and and let's also not forget because we mentioned it Indiana overpaid for Brogdon like if that's the price to keep Brogdon that's a hard that's a hard pill to swallow but it's also when you were the top team in the east I, I'm not sure I would – I mean, maybe you do just kind of got to bite the bullet and pay the tax. That's when you pay the tax. You know, I would you, agree with you there. And it, But there might be something to – did they essentially choose – when you look at Bledsoe's guaranteed money, three years and $54.5 million is the guarantee. And so if they fully guarantee the final year, it's four years and 70 versus Brogdon's four years and $85 million, And then were they concerned at all about Brogdon's injury from last season – it's not an unreasonable way to look at it. It's still, when you look at the opportunity that's before them, it's not tough to justify, but again, it just pulls at me in this weird way where if you have Brogdon, or like you said, if you could have found a a different kind of of shot creator, and again, they didn't have the money to do that though. Like this wasn't. I I agree with you. Like I said, and that might be an unfair criticism on my part, because I, there's maybe there's no way to pull that off, but you know I'm just saying like the it at that point to me I'd rather just still be like oh okay, just find a way to get Brock. I didn't understand the urgency in March to sign Bledsoe to an extension. Maybe they were honestly worried that he was going to get more on the open market. I don't know which team would have given it to him. When you look at the point guards that were signed, you know, Kyrie Irving, Kemba Walker, those were the max contract formalities. I who what was the other point guard that got paid, the third most expensive? If if you want to consider Malcolm Brogdon the point guard, there was Ricky Rubio's deal. I'm not including extensions in this, obviously. Right. D'Angelo Russell got max from Golden State, but that was in a sign and trade. But those are all guys I would take over blood, so not Rubio. I think that's where it, that's Maybe that's where it, his his market would fall somewhere around Rubio, but I think that's the risk you take. I just think I just didn't understand the urgency in March or whenever they signed that extension or, or, or agreed to that deal. I just didn't understand it. I just said like, let's see how the playoffs go. Because if he had those, listen, if he played the way he played in the playoffs, he he might not even have been able to get the number that you gave him. <laughs> that's true too. I, don't I, mean, know, I was shocked at what Ricky Rubio got, but of course Phoenix wasn't going to get in the Eric Bledsoe bidding. That was never going to yeah, happen. So you're right. Like that, that actually would have been comical though. Um, but like when you look at Bledsoe's playoffs things, you know, like what Bledsoe does best is getting to the rim. You know, he was God. I think he was like in the seventies uh, around the rim in the first round. I think it dropped to like 50 against Boston. And then it was like in the 40, low forties, against Toronto like it just went downhill his whole playoff experience and it, it got to the point where I was just like you can't play him you know and and, and he was just blowing layups so it, it it became a problem for them so you know I just I'm I'm 
I'm concerned in that sense. And it's not going to show up in the regular season. It's not even going to show up in the first round of the playoffs. You know, they're, they're just that talented, that good. And Giannis is probably going to make it, try to make another run at the MVP. So, you know, they're going to be a great team. But when I just look at their offseason and everything they did, I'm, I'm not impressed. Look, Bucks fans, it's only because we, we nitpick because we care. And that's how talented the team is. I want you to win a championship. I want Giannis. And we didn't even talk about the elephant in the room where it's like, yo, you have to at least get to the finals this year because Giannis is going to start looking. This is the extension after this year is Giannis's super extension time. And you got to – and listen – every player has said the I'm going to stay here forever thing. And, and they, it, it's almost like a telltale sign of like, you know, Oh God, they're going to leave in a few years. Um, and I don't think that's their intent. And Giannis has said, like, I want to be here forever and I want to be a bucks and I don't want to team up with anybody, but if they don't get to the finals, you better bet. He's going to start kind of wondering a little bit, you know, and that's going to be the second year in a row. He didn't get to the finals when they probably should have. He's going to start it, – it, it starts kind of circulating in his mind a little bit. So, you know, you, the clock's on them. There's a lot of pressure on the Bucks, So they got to deliver this year. Maybe not win the championship, but he's got to at least feel there's progress because, you know, he if he doesn't sign that Supermax next summer, then they're in a situation of like, well, what do we do? Do we trade him? Do we risk it and see if we – and risk losing him for nothing, you know, like that. Now you're in that weird situation. So um, this is a huge season for the Bucks and for their future. And for the Milwaukee Bucks fans who want to come at me, I just want to see Giannis win. Like, I, I love him. I think he's, he's, he's a phenomenal player, amazing character and all that stuff. You know, I want to see him succeed. And, you know, and I, why not? Why why can't it be in Milwaukee? It'd be good for the league too, for a small market team to to win a championship again. But uh, but man, there's a lot of pressure on you guys, and it's it's uh it you got, you got to be a bit nervous. There's and what's I think not being talked about enough here is so the, the supermax extension is five years, two hundred fifty three point eight million, a lot of money. I think he's a player who would turn it down if he wasn't completely sure about the Bucks' future. I don't think he's the player to request a trade the way Anthony Davis did. You know, maybe well, I, maybe that changes. But, but that I almost but I was gonna say, does I'm that make it harder? Because then the Bucks have to make the call without having a trade demand from Giannis at the end of next season. But that's and that's why it's a hard ass job. <laughs> like that's the calculus they gotta make, you know, because I'm with you. I do not anticipate him requesting a trade. I just think, you know, like I don't, I don't even think it makes sense financially, right, for him to sign that full five-year max, right? Like you need to get to, the, he wants to get, you want to be a free agent your tenth year, so you can sign the ten-year, uh, get the ten-year raises or whatever. So sign uh, a shorter deal, yeah. You know, but like I think the the situation if you're Milwaukee, let's assume they get to the Eastern Conference Finals this year, and and they they, they don't make it to the finals. You know, you have to wonder now, hey, are we because I aren't I think they're locked in. They're not going to have a lot of cap space next year. You know, are, are you are we good enough to make it to the finals next year? Or do we have to start worrying that we might lose Giannis for nothing next year? Like it's a gamble. Now, I'm a gambling man. I might take that risk and just say, man, listen, we have a chance to compete for a championship 
even if we lose him for nothing, we're going to try to compete for a championship and let's go. But you have to make that calculation. That is a risky proposition. And that's it's 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 a pressure on the Bucks front office that they'd have to figure out. And it's not a position I want to be in. I don't want to have to make that decision. Lost in all this is that the Bucks actually get an A plus plus because Robin Lopez and Brooke Lopez are on the same team. The the comedy between those guys is going to be fun. The mascots around the league, I'm sure, are all scared. Uh, I I hope they've uh, re upped their health insurance. Um, <laughs> it's going to be a they they definitely they, those two are going to definitely be a fun. Uh, I'm excited when brothers end up together like those two. Those two guys just seem like they're fun uh, around each other. And, and my favorite was the uh, Robin Lopez calling Miritich after the trade, apologizing that he had to play with the lesser Lopez. Um, Fantastic. It's just all that kind of stuff. Like, those guys are just fun. Guys. Like, you just get fun stories out of them. So uh, they do get an A++ in the same way that uh, Philly got an F for breaking up Tobias and Bovey. <laughs> That'll do it for us on the Central Division. Again, be sure to check out all the other uh, division pods that we did. We've officially graded the offseason for all 30 teams. They are over and done with. Check them out. Until next time, I leave you with a shout-out to the one and only Kyle Anderson. Mo leaves you with a shout-out to Jalen Brunson.